Jesus. But uh, the nation is gearing up for Christmas. Uh, and, and as you guys know, man, the, uh, Christmas is a season of increased activity in our lives. Um, we'll often say, like I even said it today uh, to someone, like, hey, let's get together, man. We need to get together and, and hang out and talk. And, but you know what? Why don't we wait till the new year to be able to do it? And the reason we say that is because the Christmas season is so chaotic. We're running around with, you know, like chickens with our heads cut off just from one thing to the next. Um, we're trying to buy gifts for people, try to find the right gift. And how many guys absolutely hate trying to find gifts for people? Okay, there's a dozen of you that are like me. Like, I don't even know what to buy my kids anymore. I loved it when Legos made them happy and, and a Tonka truck made them happy. Now it's not the case. You gotta like, man, I gotta take out a loan to get them something that they might like, and I hate that, and finding stuff for my wife, I don't know what to do anymore. It's like those little foot massagers after six times in a row, that doesn't work. <laughs> but that's what we're running around trying to find that. Um, we're doing cookie exchanges. How many of you guys are doing cookie exchanges? Two of you? <laughs> oh, three of you? Okay. It's becoming like a lost art now, I guess. There's, there's only one in first service. But, you know, when we do cookie exchanges, we want the most awesome cookies in the world. You just can't do chocolate chip. You got to do like Russian tea cakes and little lemon meringue, you know, thumbprint cookies and all the little cinnamon palmiers. And I looked this up on the web, so don't think I, I know the stuff. <laughs> but we, that takes time. And you got to take the whole kitchen to do your stuff. We we have to plan our Christmas parties. And we don't just have one party. We have the party with our friends. We have the party with our workplaces. We have the party, you know, with our relatives. There's a bunch of them that you have to plan and find out the date for that. And then we have our school activities. You know, there's always the end of the year, like the, the Christmas concert and the Christmas plays. And so we got to go to those things. And then Christmas Eve finally comes. We got to figure what service we're coming to and then where we're going to be going to eat. And then Christmas Day, we got to decide where we're going to be going. And we have to figure out the menu for that and go grocery shopping for that. And I mean, I could go on and on with all the things that we do in the month of December. And many of us, once the month of December is over, we're like, oh, my word, I can finally breathe because it's exhausting. And in the midst of that entire month, jammed full of activities, we can easily not spend time with the one who the season is all about, Jesus. Oh, we might do a little something about Jesus or with Jesus, but let's be honest, he gets pushed aside this month. This month is supposed to be all about him. We're say, we say that we're planning all these activities because of him, yet we don't spend hardly any time with him. And I want us to try to change that this year if we could. So in this four-week Christmas series, we're going to start out with the topic of Advent, okay? Now, just to start out with, I'm going to declare my ignorance on this, but can I get a show of hands? First of all, how many of you grew up celebrating Advent? Okay, so a few of you, okay? I did not, okay? In fact, it wasn't until just a few years ago that I even knew what Advent was. I had heard of it before, but I didn't know what it was. I didn't grow up in any denomination or tradition or church culture where they celebrated the liturgical calendar. I didn't know what the word liturgical meant, so I didn't know what, what, how people celebrated. But we didn't celebrate Lent. We didn't celebrate Palm Sunday. Like some of you guys, you know, you had palms all over the, the church, and you had them in the aisles, and you ran in the, the I don't know if you ran, but you had <laughs> palms that you'd wave around. That was what you did. We did not. And we certainly didn't celebrate Advent. I didn't know what that was. When it came to Christmas, we just celebrated Christmas. Jesus coming to earth in the form of a little baby boy. 
And that's what we celebrate. It wasn't anything fancy or any special stuff that I can remember. But in, in looking up and studying Advent, I actually think it's a really cool idea, and it's a good thing to do. Uh, not sure if you have to do it every year or not, but I still think it incorporates some disciplines into our life that's, I think, pretty neat. So that's what I wanted us to start out with in this Christmas series. In this series, we're going to cover four standalone topics, if you will, that have to do with Christmas. So today, we're going to talk about Advent. Next week, Pastor Josh is going to be talking about Bethlehem, the town of Bethlehem, and everything to do with that. Then next week, after the week after that, Josh is going to be talking about the gifts that the wise men gave to Jesus, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and why those were important, and what was um, symbolic about that, significant about that. And then the final week, I'm going to be talking about angels, okay? And then the week after that is Christmas Eve, so uh, we're, we're going to have the whole month of December taken up with that. So that's just a brief look at the weeks coming up. So to begin with today, I want to briefly just talk about what Advent is, in case there are some of you out there like me who have no idea what it is. By the way, how many of you guys didn't celebrate Advent and you're kind of like me? Okay, so a few of you. All right, Dave, don't put it up yet. Okay, just hold off on this. Those of you who celebrated Advent, tell me it's a Latin word and what does it mean? Very good, who said that? Back there, coming, it means coming, exactly. Uh, so when you celebrate Advent, you are celebrating the coming of Jesus. And from what I understand, there's kind of a three-part celebration to it. We celebrate the coming of Jesus as a baby boy. Uh, we celebrate the coming of Jesus into our lives and our hearts. And thirdly, we celebrate the future second coming of Jesus at the end of the, the age. And these are three different perspectives of celebration during the time of Advent. And, and also, from what I understand, uh, they have all these special little ceremonies where they light certain colored candles and, and wreaths. They, they hang wreaths. Did you guys all do that? Raise your hands. So yeah, a few of you, okay. Um, that's awesome. Now, being that I've never celebrated Advent and don't know much about it, what I'm going to talk about today and propose that we do may not follow what the church as a whole has done over the years. And so I may be way off in my planning, what I have for us, but hopefully you'll be okay with just going through it anyways. Just try to look over my ignorance and kind of go with the flow and, and, and just do it. Are you guys okay with that? Yeah. All right, good. Because whether we like it or not, um, I think it's good for us to do this stuff. Um, I think it's good for us to prepare our hearts for this season. Because like I said, the season can rule us. And we really want this season to be focused on the person who it's all about, and that's Jesus. And I think this will help us prepare our hearts for it. All right, being we're going to focus on these three perspectives this morning, I want to start with the coming of Jesus to this earth. Um, and I think this is a very obvious point, but I want to say it. We celebrate Christmas because Jesus did come to the earth, okay? Christmas is a celebration of a true event that happened. It's kind of like birthdays. We celebrate birthdays because what? The person was born. Yeah, they're like sitting right there. We can't deny it. They were born. And I know people who poo-poo Christmas all the time, they get it bent out of shape that December 5th, you know, wasn't the actual day Jesus was born, so why do you even celebrate on December 25th? Well, what I say to that is, so what if it isn't? Uh, so what if we don't know the date? We've chosen the 25th to be the day, and so that's what we do. We celebrate his birth. We celebrate something that happened. The main point is, is that it happened. It isn't a fairy tale. 
It isn't some old fable, some story that we're really not sure of. No, this happened. God left his throne in heaven and took on the form of a human being and he became like us and was born as a baby boy. It happened. This is not a myth. It's not a fable. It's not a false claim. Jesus came to earth and that's why we celebrate Christmas. And that is the only reason why we celebrate Christmas. It should be the only reason why we celebrate Christmas. Now, I get it. The world may not believe that. They question the validity of it. Did Jesus really come to this earth? Really? And if he did come, is he really the son of God? Well, very quickly, did Jesus come to this earth? Guys, it is a historical fact that he came. It's a historical fact that Jesus walked the earth. In fact, historians, multiple historians who weren't even part of the Bible, who weren't followers of Jesus, they wrote about Jesus. So we know he came. And the question of whether he was the son of God or not, well, we could spend the whole day on this one, but very quickly, I'm just gonna run over some, some things, and I love talking about this. I love focusing on the truth of Jesus being the son of God, and I like to talk about prophecies. To me, prophecies are the coolest thing ever. I think one year I did a whole series on prophecies, but I'm today, I'm just going to focus on five today, five prophecies that Jesus fulfilled when he came to this earth. Prophecies that were spoken about hundreds, even thousands of years before he even came, proving that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the Son of God. In his wisdom, God left fingerprint evidence that his Messiah was going to be here. And only his true Messiah could fit this fingerprint evidence. In the Old Testament, we have numerous messianic prophecies. That we call it messianic prophecies when it's prophesying about the, the Messiah coming. Does anybody know how, about how many there were? 300 plus. I don't know the exact number, but it's over 300 prophecies about Jesus. Okay? Uh, ranging from the location of his birth to his genealogy, how he would die. And, and I'm just going to focus on five. And I'm going to start with one in Genesis 28. And this prophecy is a super, super old one. Okay, It says, your, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And all people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Now, God is speaking to Jacob here, and he's promising that through the offspring of Jacob, the entire earth, all peoples on this earth, will be blessed through Jacob's offspring. Now, through that little statement right there, God is saying that a very special offspring of his will bless the whole earth. Can anybody tell me who of Jacob's offspring blessed the whole world? Jesus did. So we're being told that this Messiah would have to be a descendant of Jacob. Well, let's see if he was or not. In the book of Luke, chapter 3, there is a lineage of Jesus. It's the lineage of Mary, and it backs all the way up. And we'll see here, there's a whole chapter on it, but I'm just going to read a couple verses. The son of Aminadab, the son of Ram, that would be a sweet name, Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of, say it with me, Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. Very clearly, the prof this prophecy was fulfilled. Jesus was a descendant of Jacob. Just this single prophecy is incredible. 
But let's look at more. Second prophecy, Isaiah 7, 14. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Now, this is an incredible sign because look what it says. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Now, we all know this story. Mary's living in Nazareth, and all of a sudden, whoo, Gabriel shows up one day, and he's like, Mary, you are favored by God. The Lord has found favor with you. In fact, he's gonna use you to be the vessel by which he's going to bring his son into this world, bring the Messiah into this world. And Mary's like, whoa, 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 time out. Hold on a second. How is that going to happen, being that I'm a virgin? I've never had a relationship with a man that would produce a baby. And Gabriel tells her this. In verse 35, it says, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child will be called, say it with me, the Son of God. The father of this baby will not be human. It will be God. Therefore, this baby boy will be called the Son of God, and he will be born of a virgin. Jesus fulfills this amazing prophecy. Now, as if this wasn't enough, there's a prophecy telling us actually where he is, would be born. In Micah 5.2, it says, But as for you, Bethlehem, Epaphrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Now, guys, I want you to understand that Bethlehem was a teeny-weeny little town. It was not some famous town in Israel. You would think that if you're going to have the Son of God come, he would be born in the capital of Jerusalem. But that's not the case. It says that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. And we all know the story. When the wise men show up to Jerusalem, they're seeing a star, and they're saying, man, a king is being born. So they show up to Jerusalem, and they're saying, hey, where's this king that was born? Do you guys know where he is? And so King Herod is like, what? I didn't know there was a king. And so he goes to his scribes and his teachers of the law. And he says, do you guys know of any king being born? And, and if so, where would he be born? And they say, oh, yeah, that, that's found in Micah. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. And, and guys, pay attention to this here. This king that is born is not some ordinary boy. His goings forth are from long ago, from days of eternity. In other words, this baby will be the son of God, born in Bethlehem. Now, we all know that he was born in Bethlehem, but let me just show you in Matthew chapter 2. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. In Luke chapter 2, we're told he's born in Bethlehem. Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. And guess what? He didn't have any choice in the matter. How many of you guys got to choose where you were born? None of us, right? Jesus didn't get to choose where he was born. In fact, why in the world would Jesus be born in this little winky-dinky town of Bethlehem when his mother and Joseph were from Nazareth? What did God orchestrate? A census had to be taken, so Joseph and Mary had to go to where their lineage was from. They were from the lineage of David, so they had to travel all the way down to Bethlehem, and that's where Jesus was born. God orchestrated this whole event. He fulfills another prophecy. Here's another crazy prophecy. Prophet Isaiah wrote in chapter 40 that the Messiah would be preceded by a forerunner. Look at this. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. 
Now, as you know, right before Jesus shows up on the scene, John the Baptist begins his ministry paving the way for Jesus. And, and the people would come up to him and they'd say, hey, dude, who are you? You know, are you Elijah? No. Are you a prophet? No. Who are you then? And John would reply like this. It says, John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now this scripture makes clear that the man in the wilderness, John the Baptist, was the one who paved the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. God orchestrated the life of John the Baptist to precede the ministry of Jesus. And this was independent of Jesus. So for this prophecy to be fulfilled is beyond incredible because Jesus didn't have any choice in that. God had set it up with John the Baptist. Now that's only four prophecies, absolutely incredible prophecies. Let me do one more. And this one is crazy. Check this one out. This one has the fingerprint of God all over it. And Zechariah says, I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay. But if not, keep it. So they paid me how much? 30 pieces of what? Silver. Pay attention to that. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the what? Potter, the handsome price at which they valued me. So I took 30 pieces of silver and threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. Now, this is an incredible prophecy because there's a lot of different angles and nuances to it. In Matthew chapter 26, it says, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him how much? Thirty pieces of what? Silver. You see, Judas didn't like all this talk about death that Jesus was talking about. And so he's like, I'm going to cash him in because he was a greedy person. I'm going to cash him in for some money. So he goes to the chief priest and he says, hey, if I betray him and I turn him over to you, how much will you give me? And they said, 30 pieces of silver. Incredibly, right there. Now, when Judas actually betrays Jesus and turns him over, he's overcome with remorse. So much so that he comes back to the chief priest. And he's like, take my money. I don't want this. Take my money. I was wrong in doing this. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. that's on you, bro. That's on you. You made that decision. And so Judas throws the money at them while they were at the temple, the house of the Lord. Now look at what it says. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, well, it's against the law to put this into the treasury since it's blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the what? potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. So a lot of people would come to Jerusalem to be able to celebrate all the feasts and festivals, but a lot of them didn't have a lot of money. And if they died in Jerusalem, there was no place to bury them because they didn't have money to be buried in some fancy little, little area. So what the priests here, the chief priest, decided to do is, you know what, we'll take this money that was thrown to us. It's blood money. We can't throw it in the treasury. Let's buy a piece of land in the potter's field. Let's buy it from this potter, and that's where we can bury these people. Talk about a crazy prophecy that was fulfilled by Jesus. Now, as I said, that single prophecy has so many angles and unique parts to it that that in and of itself is incredible, but Jesus fulfilled all of them. Now, listen to me. In Jesus' life, he fulfilled to the letter not just five prophecies, but over 300 Old Testament prophecies 
about the Messiah. You have no idea, trust me on this, you have no idea how amazing that is. It is beyond incredible. Listen to me, if Jesus had just fulfilled 48 of these 300 prophecies, just 48, okay, the mathematical probability of that happening by random chance would be one chance in a trillion, 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 trillion. In case you didn't count that, that is 12 trillion. One chance in 12 trillion. Whitestone, we can't even comprehend a number that high, and yet that's the probability of Jesus fulfilling just 48 of those prophecies. In fact, there isn't even a way to mathematically explain. There is no model available to us that we could use to explain the fact that he fulfilled all 300 because it's too big for our brains to fathom. We don't have a model available. Even if you used all the atoms in the universe, it wouldn't be enough of a model. The point I'm trying to make is that it is concrete fact that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, prophesied in the Old Testament. In fact, mathematically, it would be impossible that he isn't who he says he is. The odds are just too great. In fact, I love saying this. this. This is incredible to me. Listen to me. You could be more sure, more sure that Jesus is the Son of God than you can be sure that you are who you say you are. You're like, <laughs> it's true. Because all you have is what your parents say you are. And you're like, prove it mathematically, mom and dad. <laughs> you can't. But Jesus could. All this to say, we celebrate Christmas because Jesus did come to earth, amen? The people of this world celebrate Christmas for a thousand and one reasons, who knows what they are. We celebrate it simply because Jesus did come. Don't ever question that, ever. So that is the first perspective of Advent. Here's the second perspective we celebrate. If Jesus fulfilled prophecy and came the first time, we can celebrate the fact of his second coming as well. Jesus is coming back. God promised and delivered on his first promise the first time, so we know that he can be trusted for the second time. Jesus is coming back, amen? I love the passage in Thessalonians, and I will often read this passage at gravesite services. It's such an encouraging passage, but it says this, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Talk about an amazing passage, eh? Last week, we talked about God's compassion to those who are suffering. And we talked about those who have lost loved ones because of death. 
Well, this passage is one of the most encouraging and powerful passages for those of us who've lost a loved one who knew and loved Jesus. We're going to get to see them again one day. When Jesus comes back the second time. Death is not the final act. The grave does not have the final say, amen? Jesus does. Did you know that back then Christians called death sleep? It was talked about how they would say they went to rest. That's where we get the phrase laid to rest. It comes from the early Christians. In fact, I don't know if you knew this or not, but early Christians began to call the burial places cemeteries, uh, which means dormitories. It's sleeping places. Isn't that interesting? My dad's buried at the dormitory down by Loch LaBelle. That's what it meant. For the Christian, death really isn't death as we perceive it to be. It's so much more awesome. Death and leaving this body for a Christian is like laying down for a nap and waking up in glory. It's moving, not dying. And that's why Paul says Christians should not sorrow as others who have no hope when their loved ones in Jesus die. You really, our, our sorrow is like the sadness of seeing someone off on a long trip knowing that you'll see him again, but not for a long time. And we've all had that in our life where we've had to say goodbye to someone for a long period of time and there's tears and there's sadness and we're going to miss them. That's what it's like. They haven't died, they've moved. And one day we're going to see them again when Jesus comes the second time. And apparently when he comes the second time, there's going to be some audible signals that this event is going to go down. When we hear this, these sounds where it's the loud command and the, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet, it's going to be like, get ready, boys and girls, it's go time. That, that loud command, I, I can picture the Lord, I always picture this big, you know how they have like the army all in their horses and this big lined up army there and there's the, the commanders on his horse and he's facing them and then there's like maybe the second command is sitting next to him on his horse and He's talking to his people, and all of a sudden he turns his horse around, and he faces the obstruction. He's like, let's go, and he starts running. <clears throat> and I can picture the archangel on his horse running down the ranks like, let's go. And all of a sudden the trumpets are like, you know, they're blasting out, and they're letting the whole army know, let's go. And they all rush, and that's when Jesus comes back. And there's something about the sound of a trumpet, isn't it? Isn't that cool? I've, uh, that's going to be an awesome thing. At, at our wedding... Shauna had hired a guy to be able to play the trumpet when we were pronounced as husband and wife. You know how you have that little recessional where you walk down and um, there's like some uppity song? Well, she had a trumpet guy to be able to do that. And this guy was a really good trumpet player. And so we were excited about it. And she was going to play, have him play trumpet volunteer, where it's da 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 And it's like, I was terrible, but that's what it was like. Well, we get done, we're pronounced husband and wife, and we're ready to step down, and he's like, and he butchered it. And we're like, we start laughing as we're walking down. We get outside the building, and he finally hits the right notes as we're outside. So I'm pretty confident that the trumpet call is going to be a lot better than it was at our wedding. At least I hope so. Can you imagine the angel screwing that up? Be like, all right, go. And the Lord's saying, you had one job, one job. 
To be honest, though, I think there's going to be thousands of trumpets blasting. It's going to be huge. What I'm wanting you to see is that the, when we're called up to meet with the Lord in the air, it is not going to be silent. It's not going to be secret. It's going to be worldwide. And, and I love what it says at the end of that passage in verse 17. And so we will be with the Lord. How long? Forever. And who are we going to be with? With the Lord forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. We have that to look forward to, Whitestone. And look at what it's going to be like. Look, look at this. I love reading this passage from time to time just to look forward to this time. But check this out. It's in Revelation 21. And it says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. No more, none of this not seeing God, none of this him in the unseen realm, us in the physical realm. No more us crying out to him and having to have faith because we can't see him. No, he's going to be face to face. He's going to live with us, and we're going to live with him. Amen? That's what it's going to be like. And it says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the old order of things have passed away. Let me ask you a question. In just this last week, how many of you guys shed some tears? How many of you guys experienced mourning? How many of you guys experienced pain? Guys, let me tell you something. There's gonna be a day where all that is gone. We experienced it this week. This was the very first Thanksgiving that my mother-in-law had without her husband. 53 years she celebrated with him, but this Thanksgiving he wasn't here. He had moved. He was with the Lord. And so yeah, we shed some tears. We experienced mourning. There was pain. But there is coming a day where all that will be done away with because all things will be made new. Amen? He goes on, he says, he who has seated at the throne said, I am making everything new. And then I love this, he said this, write this down, for these words are what? Trustworthy, and they're true. And he said to me, it is done. You know how we like to say Jesus said it is finished? Well, he was just saying it was paid for. This is finally where God says it is done. It's over. It is finished. I am the Alpha. I am the Omega. I am the beginning. I am the end. And guys, these are trustworthy and true. True. Now tell me, who spoke these words? God did, right? Jesus did. The Alpha and Omega. We can trust it. We can count on it. We can stake our future on it. Jesus is coming back. The confidence and hope we have in Jesus' second coming should be our source of comfort in the midst of this messed up world that we live in. Now I know people in every generation have thought Jesus is coming back in their generation. I get it. People in the last century were certain of it. People predicted days. I even thought that there was a year that he was coming. So it's easy to sit back and go, man, are you ever coming? Where is he? I get it. But hear me on this, every single day, every single day, we get closer and closer and closer to his coming. And I don't know about you, but this world is at a place where it sure seems like we're close. 
The kingdom of darkness have, has ramped up its efforts and, and the things that are going down on this earth are so vile and so wicked and so terrible, I don't even like talking about them. But the enemy's fingerprint is all over. We're quickly coming to the days of Noah where evil runs rampant with nothing to stop it and it's ugly. And Jesus said, as in the days of Noah, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. The evil in this world, it's all around us. But I, I don't want to focus on that right now. I want to focus on us. The bride of Christ. The church. We are to image Jesus. We are to be the light of the world. We are to be men and women who bear fruit where we look like Jesus, where we act like Jesus, where we behave like Jesus, where we love like Jesus, where we drive back the kingdom of darkness like Jesus, where we heal like Jesus, where we cast out demons like Jesus. We are to be just like Jesus. The Spirit of God came into us so that we could be like Jesus. How about we start doing that? Let's stop looking like the world. Let's stand out. Let's be different. Let's be holy as our heavenly Father is holy. Let's be a bride that Jesus would want to come back to. We know he's coming back, but I wonder if he came back right now, what kind of bride would he find? A pretty broken and sinful and compromised and sick bride, I would assume. I don't think he wants to come back to a bride like that. I sure wouldn't. So Whitestone, let's become a bride that he would want to come back to. Let's be holy as he is holy. Amen? And in doing so, let's expectantly look for his return. You know, Jesus came the first time so that we could be sons and daughters of God. Jesus is coming the second time so that we children can finally be with our God, with our Father, forever and ever and ever. That's what we have to look forward to. And so this Christmas season, let's celebrate his first coming, and let's celebrate his future coming, and let's celebrate the fact that he came into our lives and our hearts so that we could take on his divine nature within us, like it says in 2 Peter. That, my friends, is something to celebrate. Amen? All right, I'm going to give us some homework for this week in preparation for the Christmas season, okay? We're going to be preparing for the, the Advent season, and here's what I want us to do. Number one, let's celebrate his first coming. So I want you to read through Luke chapter two slowly and meditatively. Now, the book of Luke is an amazing book of the Bible, so you'll enjoy this, but Luke chapter two. Okay, this is the story of the birth of Jesus. And I say slowly and meditatively, don't race through it. Read through it slowly and say, Jesus, is there anything you wanna point out to me? Holy Spirit, is there anything you want to unveil to me? Just ask him to point and just enjoy that time and celebrate his first coming. Because, Whitestone, he did come. Amen? Number two, celebrate his second coming. I'd encourage you to read that passage in Thessalonians. We just did 4, 13 through 17. And then read Matthew 24, 42 through 51, slowly and meditatively. Celebrate the fact that Jesus is coming again. And thirdly, I want you to celebrate the relationship you have with God. And I'd encourage you to go on a walk with the Trinity and talk with him. Thank him for his first coming. Talk to him about his second coming. Ask him to show you how you need to prepare for it. And take some time to listen and journal what you hear. I did this portion of our homework this morning. I was walking in the snow on the church property, and it was a precious time. I would encourage you guys to do that. Just walk with the Lord. Walk and talk with him.
and then whatever he shows you, obey him, okay? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you did love us so much you sent Jesus over 2,000 years ago to be born on this earth as a baby boy, and that's what we celebrate this, this season, that you did come. You were Emmanuel. You were God with us. And God, we celebrate the fact that you're gonna come again one day and we're gonna get to see you face to face and there's not gonna be any more pain, any more tears, any more mourning, any more crying. The old way of things is gonna be passed away and you're gonna bring a new order of things because you are the Alpha, you are the Omega. And you said it, so therefore it's true. Thank you. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Love you guys very, very much. If any of you guys would like to be prayed for, please come on up, and John would love to pray for you guys. Thank you.